partway through, I started saying like, yeah, I'm sorry. I did just have a stroke. And they were like, what? Hollywood native here, and you know what you're about to watch. Brian Lally, Hollywood native. I'm sitting here with my partner in crime, Scott Williams. Scott, who do we have on the show today? Today, Brian, we have a great guest, Kaylee Chase. Kaylee Chase is on our show? The Kaylee Chase. Um, Kaylee Chase is here today. Let me tell you, this is going to be a lot of fun. You might think growing up with the biggest comedy box office star in the world as your father might be a detriment, but I never saw it that way. There was no shadow to be in. She is a writer, director, actor, musician. She's going to talk about her foray into stand-up comedy, and she is really an overall Renaissance woman. I am so excited. I miss anything, Scott? I would like to say exactly what I told Kaylee after the episode. I was really hoping she'd bring Dad, but I'm really glad she didn't because we got to learn so much more about Kaylee. She's an amazing person, and I think everybody's going to really fall in love with her. I'll tell you this much about this artist. She is fearless. Well, sometimes there are, like, the hill guys. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We had one when I first moved out here. So I lived on the hill, but there was this guy, Bill, and Bill would just fucking show up in your yard at, like, 1 a.m. Yeah. And you're yeah. just like, what's up? He's like, oh, I'm planting flowers. Yeah. You're like, where the fuck did you come also. from? Yeah, for real. But everybody, there's a documentary made about him because everybody just sort of accepted him. They were like, okay, well, yeah. that's who he is. He's yeah. here. This is Scott's man cave, and also he built this so we could do this, so it's really cool. It's awesome. So what, what's the basics here? What are we going through? Well, why do you care? I care because I don't want to veer us off too far. You'll catch me if I didn't. Yeah. Who knows? Don't talk about dirty underwear. We'll be okay. Is that, is that the whole show's based on dirty underwear? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Strictly underwear. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't think of anything funny. So. The Japanese show. As I just proved. <laughs> I was going to say, you've seen that picture, then I realized... I, of course, right away. But then I realized, scrolling through our text, I have sent that to you yeah. before. It's like I know that picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, have you seen my Hollywood High Junior Year picture? Yes, I have, Brian. It's on my phone several places. Hilarious. So, I thought you were born in New York, but you were born at Cedar sinai Cedar sinai I was born at Cedars of Lebanon. Yeah. So, before... Before it became merged with uh, Mount Sinai to become Cedars Sinai. I was just going to fumble it there. So, when did you move to New York? Or what, what, what was your childhood like here? How long were you here? Um, I'm going to ask eight questions at yeah. once. Okay, bam. I, I was here till I was 10. Oh, okay. So, well, where'd you go to school? Palisades. Um, oh, you did? St. Matthews. Oh, okay. We lived in the Palisades Highlands. I went to St. Matthews. Wow. Did they try to burn you after they found out you just became Mrs. Siegel? No. St. Matthew's is, you know, one of my best friends from St. Matthew's is Jewish. So it's like. Okay. We did go to church every morning, but we had a fair amount of, you know, all types of kids went there. You weren't the priest type, though, so you had no problems? <laughs> the priest type. No, we had such, actually, that was like. Contrary to, I think, a lot of kids' experiences, the 
priest father peter i think it was no that's great was father's father's peter great name (laughs) but he was actually like the safe place like the nice right person you know and then there's the school the like principal and stuff and they were scarier yeah the priest was chill i was open to well yeah to a lot of new experiences (laughs) yeah yeah I was an altar boy for two years. I didn't have any wow. any of those kind of experiences. But we had one sit. Sorry. Why do, why do I say that and you start rubbing me immediately? It's okay. Something in your childhood that's... Uh, that was, yeah. What he learned. Was that a, co- was that a code word? <laughs> an altar boy. A code word? <laughs> we had Monsignor Dolan. Monsignor Dolan was always drunk and he was a little angry. He was pretty mean. But when you gave him wine as an altar boy, as a little wine, he would go like this. <clears throat> To make sure you kept giving him more wine. So I was Monsignor Dole, but I did not know that. So you were there, and at that age, you were involved in any art? I did a lot of painting and a lot of arts and crafts, and I played music because that was sort of what we did in our house. Right. And and you started with piano? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I always played piano. Just and And it was really interesting because it was like, there was a difference between my parents never made me practice. Right. That was a really interesting choice. And I think a good one. Yeah. Because then it was on me. Sort of I owned whether I practiced or not. Right. Who got mad at me or didn't, meaning the teacher. Right. And also it became my own sort of world. Right. And I enjoyed it for the most part, actually, the whole time. What I didn't like is learning songs I didn't like. Okay, yeah, we've been through that with me in, in, in guitar. So, yeah, I wanted to play three-chord rock and roll. My parents sent me to a guy who was teaching me. He was a nice enough man, flamenco guitar player, older Mexican yep. man. Yeah, so I don't know how many of I said this before on the podcast. or stories I'm sure I'm going to tell a hundred times, but I was so frustrated. I had to learn my scales. My parents told me. I said I wanted to. I didn't know it was called three. I was 10. I didn't know it was called three-chord rock and roll. That's all I wanted to play, which yeah. was on the radio. Yeah. And I had a friend named Danny Brin, who at 11 was a brilliant guitar player. Mm-hmm. And he taught me how to play House of the Rising Sun mm-hmm. over the phone in nice. half an hour. Nice. Yeah. So my parents let me stop lessons when I was like an early teen, mm-hmm. probably 12, maybe. Uh, maybe even 11. So not quite a teen. So when I moved to New York, I was about 12 because we did a year with a teacher there who was lovely. But it was all like show tunes. And it, it and it was fine, be swell. but it wasn't my thing. Right. Frankly, I had developed a pretty strong love for jazz. Um, my dad played it himself, but he also played it in the house growing up my whole life. Right. And what I found out is I have a pretty good ear. And so I could hear all the, sorry, I could hear all the intricacies. Right. Um, and I gravitated towards the complexities and i was learning show tunes <laughs> and i was like la <laughs> so they let me stop lessons and i started really playing oh wow i started that's really cool on my own playing two hours a day after school yeah. for fun yeah because i wanted to learn things and i i think it was a little bit to connect with my dad because he was at that time deep in some sort of a depression. Right. He was staying in his room a lot. Right. And when I played more, 
I noticed he would come out. Oh, okay. Especially if I played better. <laughs> so uh, so I, you were getting it. To get, it was part of that out. and the reward of like, hey, that sounds good. And partly, I liked what I was playing. I, right. I jammed out to it. I was right. like enjoying it. So you have two sisters. Mm -hmm. And did they play? Yeah, both played piano, both took lessons and performed. What was really cool is to have the same teacher for three different people that were so different musically. Right. All of us have great ears. My dad has perfect pitch, so we sort of at least have rel pretty damn good relatives. Mm -hmm. My older sister always had a very delicate, light touch and, and feeling. She's good when at her classical pieces and her other stuff tended towards Stevie Nicks or, you know, sort of like a, a lighter, airier touch. Mm -hmm. And uh, my little sister always was pretty hard playing everything. And we were like, oh my gosh, be release, <laughs> you know? So, which she, was- she, she was a big Jerry Lee Lewis fan? I mean, it was hilarious, but then it developed into, oh, she has something in her that right. was not, she didn't have the patience for the like light, those two on either side. And I'm like going at jazz. So we were really different, but we all all did music a lot. Right. And then we ended up having a band together. Oh, the three sisters? Well, we first had separate bands. Mm -hmm. I got into band first. There were guys and girls bands in, right. in high school, yeah. in middle school. Yeah. Middle school. We were young. And there was the guys band and the girls band was just a bunch of girlfriends. I don't think anybody really had that much of an interest in music, but it sounded fun. Mm -hmm. There were three of us. Only two of us were in the band. Anna Mankin, who's Alan Mankin's daughter, okay. who's still going at it. She lives in Nashville. She's brilliant. Um, and I don't know, you know, do you know who Alan Mankin is? No, I know the name, but I don't know. Alan Menken wrote uh, the Little Mermaid songs, Aladdin, oh, right. Beauty and the Beast. I knew I didn't like that. He did a lot. Right. He's that yeah. guy. Right. And so Alan's daughters, so in my band, so we got to like go to the studio. I mean, it was for fun. Right. Just for fun, kids. It was great. So Anna and I were the most into music. The rest of them were like, this sounds fun. Um, and then I started to realize that the boys band they were really playing. They were playing. They were at improving the music part instead of just a hang. And I worked hard, and I I was friends with one of Evan, one of the guys, and they let me come to band practice. And I just wiggled my way in there, and they let me join the band. So I was in this this band. We worked at music. We wanted to play as perfectly as we could. Right. At a young age, we were good. Wow. They would all say that even today. Right. We were very And good. what type, were you playing rock? What were you playing then? Rock, blues, a yeah. little jazz, if I sort of nudged it in there. And how, when, when did the heroin start? Yeah. <laughs> 13, no. So I was in that band like 13, 14, 15. But your dad also played drums. Yeah. Did... Did any of the girls? Uh... I wanted to be a drummer. Right. He bought me some drums, and then I just, I was so focused on piano and keys. Yeah, well, that's, that I just, that's cool. I tinker around. and Also, the it's really intimidating when you have two got close guy friends that are f so much better than you. Right. 
And I think there is still, it's not, I don't blame anyone around me even at all. I think just culturally, um, I felt like if I wasn't better than them as a girl, there's no use in even trying because mm. it was, it's embarrassing almost. There is an embarrassment of I have to be better or I'm not good enough to even right. sit down. And that wasn't imparted to me by my parents. It wasn't the culture in our house. Right. But I think it was a little bit of a prideful. I hung with guys all the time. It was very competitive. Right. In a like loving way. Well, I'm sure it's competitive if a guy saw a young girl come along and was really killing it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just the thing. It's just a, you know, it's, it's Especially a, during that time, too. Yeah. I feel like it'd probably be a little different nowadays. Yeah. Back, yeah. back in the 50s when rock and roll was back first started. <laughs> Are you, I never age. Were you, <laughs> were you acting during these middle school years no. at all? Uh, I mean, I did some school plays, but mm -hmm. not seriously. It was just sort of. Actually, interestingly, in my head, it was like a means to sing. Okay. So it wasn't even about the act. The acting was like, yeah, I'll say a few things. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but you, so you just told me recently you're just belting it out all the time now. I mean, not all the time, but yeah, well, every night, I guess that would be all the time. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I discovered my voice in my 30s. I hope everybody that listens to this understands that <laughs> because that's weird. Right. And I was too shy. I could hit the notes, but I was too shy to even try. And then finally in college, I thought this is what I want. I want a music career. Right. I went into film school because I was scared of going into music. I thought I'm so emotional and I love it too much. That's awesome. I can't do music. Yeah. I love it too much. Yeah. And of course, my neighbor in the dorm is a is one of the jazz students. I was like, oh. <laughs> and he was playing all the time? Yeah. And it was sort of like, oh. That's and you cool. never stepped in? Oh, of course. But yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, of course. Oh, I oh. go to the practice rooms every day. Oh, oh great. great. I, just, I kept doing the music because I couldn't. I couldn't not do right. it. Right. This is such a cautionary tale as far as the singing i had a quiet voice because i was so scared and shy i went to a voice teacher in manhattan one of the best he taught the broadway stars right back to show tunes mm -hmm. um and then he said to me i was very shy and i showed him sort of what i had been working on because i was only writing music i wasn't really playing other people's and he said you have such a quiet voice. I'll never get you to the point where you're belting out music, but I'll work with you on what you got. And I was sort of like, at the time, uh, American Idol was out. Right. There were all these people who thought they were good, being completely confused and crushed when someone right. said something negative. And I was like, oh, that means I'm not good. I need to just stop. Wow. So I stopped. Yeah. I stopped singing. I went at just playing piano when I could, but I sort of let it fall off a bit. Went to film school. Then I started acting. Where did you go to film school? NYU. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Well, what got me into acting was Susan Grace Cohen. Jewish? <laughs> yeah. So I was in the film program and 
I hope NYU still does this because it's a brilliant rule. Uh, they're directing students. They make act. Right. And that's what you you were there for directing. I was there for directing. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. Right. I didn't really know what I wanted, but I knew I loved films. Mm-hmm. So they made me go to this acting class. And I grew up with a father who's an actor. And ah, boy, did I dig my heels in pushing away from it. Because... Not just an actor. Yeah. A comedian. The, the most famous comedian, a comedic actor of the 70s, 80s. Yeah. yeah. So in that class, I didn't take it. I took it. I didn't want to be a bullshitter. Awesome. That's what I can't. Yeah. Awesome. I know now. But what I believed at the time, which is hilarious because my dad's an actor, but never really talked about it mm-hmm. very much at home. I thought. I'm not going to bullshit. I'm not going to go up there and pretend this and pretend that. I really just, that's not who I am. I don't want to do that. And so they'd give me these scripts and I'd go up there. And that's how I discovered that I was good at acting (laughs) because I was trying not to be. (laughs) You just didn't give a shit about it? No, I just, I wanted to be authentic. I was like, I'm not going to say this stuff and pretend at you. And I swear they gave me this monologue i don't know uh what it was from it was from a movie some something intricate and uh i went up there and i just i thought um i'll read it and i'll you know i'll memorize it a little i'll read it and i I memorized it the night before and i went up there and i started crying while i was doing it right because the words moved me right and I was mortified. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I've never been so vulnerable in front of people. Yeah. I panicked. I went to the back of the room. I was like, I don't like this. I don't want to be here. Of course. What happened to me? Oh, and my God. You sh- you showed yourself. Oh. Man. And at the end of the class, Susan came over to me. And I I had done such I, I went through pains to keep my dad's identity a secret right in film school as much as i could because and you know just for my dad's sake not because i was embarrassed of anything ever that he's ever done i love him i'm very proud but because it it does get hard to have that pressure on you okay so no you tell your story because there's something i want to ask you about that go ahead okay so. yeah no remember yeah um and so I kept him, his name secret, and that's probably why I listened to this woman, because she said, you have to act. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and she's like, I teach at the Strasbourg Institute, which is another school, and they don't actually let director students go there and get credit, so you wouldn't get credit. But I'd like you to come to my classes there. And I did. I just, I thought, Okay. I'll go to two colleges because I'm following a path. And I started doing plays in New York. And what we talked about on the way out here is you're doing 40 different things at once. Yep. So you went to two colleges and yeah. did plays. Well, I didn't get any credit for the Strasbourg, right. the, any of those classes. I did. Right. They were four-hour classes. Yeah. But I just, you know, I was exploring. It was it's time to figure it out. So what I wanted to say, so... 
you said you didn't want to act earlier. You know, you said because your dad was an actor. Mm -hmm. Is that why you didn't want to act just because of that? Because, it, you know, when you grow up in the home, it's just your dad. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So is that why you didn't do it because dad was an actor or because of the success? I think it was the pressure. But it was also my older sister. Sydney was into acting. Oh, okay. Um, and wanted to be in plays and, and started doing that. She ended up, the painting started going further than the acting. She is, I mean, a brilliant painter. She's maintained that through all of her journeys, which she's dealt with some mental health stuff as Pretty much everyone deals with different variations of that. But she um, originally wanted to act. I auditioned for our high school play and decided not to do it. I was going to get a small role. Um, I just did it so she would audition. Oh. Because she didn't want to audition and she, right. she liked doing it. So I was like, that's her thing. Right. And that's his world. Um I just didn't realize the, I didn't realize what was in me and how personal it was and how fun it was. And the crazy thing is it took me so long to do comedy. You even know, you know me before I really did a comedy. Right. At all. Right. I was like, I will be a serious actor. Again. All it took was a blindfold and to change roles. That's all it took for you to be. Okay. I mean, genius. what was so crazy is the first time I was really forced to do comedy comedy, it was after your class. Right. So late in the game. That's late. That's 25, 26 or something. I was very late to this. But I would perform improv a bit. But the real comedy, it felt like walking mm -hmm. as opposed to lifting weights and running which is what drama felt like. Right. And everybody was laughing. I was like, what? Right. This is so easy. Right. Well, right. So you did that scene with Laura Burnett. Mm -hmm. And then I blindfolded you. Man, Brian, you know what I love doing? Yeah. I love tapping that subscribe button. Mm. I love it too soon. And just like all your dates, I tap it last. But nothing's as good as tapping this button. You see Brian here? He's not always doing the best. Financially, mentally, physically, for sure. You want to help keep Brian off the streets of Hollywood? There's a way you can help. Join us on Patreon. You want to tell him what we got on there, buddy? Yes, we have the general admission... We have the backstage, and we have the VIP all-access pass. So please join today. I'm due for a bath. In the arms of <laughs> angels, And you switch characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then the, the class fell apart. Yeah, but, that was fun. I but, forgot about that scene. Yeah, it, of course you did. You wow. Could. Well, yeah, Laura's the most talented person I ever I ever <laughs> She's saw. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and uh, well, she may see this one day. She's a nice lady. Yeah, but she's the most talented person I ever saw. She's a wild one. She's but very, I mean, incredible. Yeah, 
<laughs> Incredible. Nothing she can't do. Yeah. And she doesn't see that. Yeah. So. I hear you. Yeah. The other one you did, you were roommates or something. I'm trying to think of that. You guys did a few things. And then and then we were doing the, uh, the Dice Brothers Mortuary, and you guys were playing partners, right? And we were doing the improvisation, trying to come up with the dialogue. And, and you two said you, you two met in a cave, and you were 12 years old, and you had your... Oh, yeah. You, you said you were 12 years old, and that's where you had some of your first sexual experiences. And I was the interviewer, and I said, isn't that a little young? And Laura was like, well, not for a 12-year-old. That's funny. <laughs> God, that's such a memory. It's like a vague memory now. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Well, I have that effect on women. Wait. Yeah. Um, it all turns into a vague memory. That was fun. That was, I think, when uh, Taylor was yeah. around. Yeah. yeah. You brought Taylor in. Okay. And, uh, She's yeah. She's in Miami now. Yeah, Taylor was paying my brother yeah. as Dice Brothers. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. So. That wasn't a comedy memory for me because I think there's a difference for being, from being a part of something that's funny to when you have full control of an audience right. to make them belly laugh. Mm -hmm. To literally oh, so you mean, mean stand-up? No, I, it was sketch first. Oh, sketch, okay. It was sketch and improv first. Stand-up is very new to me. I'm still a baby at stand-up, yeah. and I don't have the full control yet. But with, with the sketch and improv, it was like, I just, and it's terrible that I've, that I'm talking about how much I love the control, but whatever I do, there's this feeling of like, oh, if I do this one thing, just smile sideways, tiny movement, I will get them. And it's like this link to like make an audience fall apart laughing. And it's just this wild feeling right. where you're like, we're so connected. That's why I love live performance, right. which is probably why my career is not further along right because i've really just been live performing for years right once you unlock that comedy side of yourself oh. did, did you go into classes like improv classes or a troupe yeah we were troop? we were writing uh every day and once a week we put on a sketch show okay and so i would write at least one sketch a week mm -hmm. Nice. and i didn't know i was a writer until someone said to me all improvers are writers. Yeah. Oh, of course. We're just doing it in the second. And if you just... So what we were doing is we'd video or record mm -hmm. the improv. If we liked it, go back, rewatch, rewrite it, make it funnier, make it better, and then perform it. It's like the easiest... Right. It's writing. Right. And then I realized I could just do that in my head. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm a writer. What? Right. Well, again, yeah. your father started out writing. The whole hilarious thing about this story is how he started off as a writer. He started doing sketch. He was doing music and sketch. And then he got into movies and film. And how that's been my journey totally accidentally. Right. One thousand percent trying not to do his thing but I didn't know enough about his history to not stumble into the exact same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but he was with Richard Pryor, Lily Tomlin in the East Village doing comedy when it was changing the way the world. Yeah, but that was sees. after that. That was after his Lemming stuff. Was it? Mm-hmm, I think so. Okay. Maybe Lim- Lily Tomlin's connection was earlier. Richard, I feel like, was in L.A. No, he started. No, it was in, in the East Village. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's what he told me. What yeah, do I yeah. know? You know, as long I as we've been friends. My so. dad's <laughs> memory and history. Yeah, he has these weird stories where, like, these incredibly famous people just accidentally hung out and did stuff together and then later just bam bam right it's wild you ever ask him to look at your writing yeah he likes it now okay (laughs) no he likes it i just i didn't ask him to look at it until i was confident in it which took years uh not years a few a couple years yeah i've only been writing let's see um well like five years now He's such a dad. I think I told you. I'm not. I'm not sure. But when when I spent the Fourth of July with you guys in 2014, I'm doing a play. He drove. I thought you would drive me to the train station, and and then you know, like my dad's driving. I'm like, so we went, and he was goofing off, mm-hmm. and we got to the train station, and he. Oh my God, I'm gonna get emotional. He said, Oh my God. He said, You know, tell me. You know, mm-hmm. can she do it? Yeah. And I said, um, she's fearless. I said, she can shit the stage one moment. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and you know this about you. I said, you yeah. can shit the stage one moment mm-hmm. and be up 10 seconds later mm-hmm. and forget what happened. Mm-hmm. That thing you said where you, you know, you felt, I say naked after you cried on stage, Ooh. that that was not my experience. Obviously, it was years later. But you would get up there and and do whatever. And I'd say, get back up there. And you'd, you'd get up there yeah. and, and kill it. Yeah. Like it never happened. So that's what I, yeah. you know, you're fearless. That's Thank my you. opinion of you. Thank Can we cut out this part? <laughs> I start acting like a bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, that's um, great. That's but that, nice. yeah. But, you know, your dad's a dad. Yeah. So. And in the end, what I realized is that they really... Not discouraged, because I don't want to put them down at all. I think they were very, they ended up being very supportive. But the, my dad didn't want to see me hurt. He knows what Hollywood's like. Right. And I didn't. I even came out here wanting to act, and they were still like, oh, yeah, they didn't want to. They, they, they were like, that's great, but, you know, look at other options, other things you're doing. Um, and I was so stubborn. But... In the end, I think the the real part of it is my dad didn't want to see me hurt. He didn't right. want to see me beaten up by the industry. And um, I think, I mean, I know you know what that means. Yeah. That's really real. This industry's mayhem. And if you're going at just art, you're not necessarily going to get anywhere. It's funny because I think my dad didn't want the, the same for me. Yeah. My dad made a living as an actor for maybe 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. 10 years for sure, maybe 15. You know, then it, it's, it's a, you know, but it, it's, it is a rough business, but it's as rough in any business to, you know, to get to the top. I always say 
If you if you're a lawyer and want to make forty grand a year, there's a ten thousand jobs for you. If you want to make a million dollars a year, it's it, it's it's work and it's it's you know <laughs> doing a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and never leaving the office and get yeah. to the top. So I think that's what people don't realize about yeah. the arts is we've talked about this the sort of the couch thing mm-hmm. wait on the yeah. couch to be discovered yeah you have to work yeah hard yeah you have to yeah. work at it yeah that's what it is so not only do you have a dad but you got a mom named Janie who's I very do. cool she grew up in North Hollywood North Hollywood North Hollywood high yeah communications major who wanted to uh make documentaries oh I didn't to know change that the world I didn't know that. That was her original sort of dream. Right. You know, she's done so much. She's done, I think, more than she could have realized with what she did with her life, which is she met my dad on set uh, of... Under the Rainbow. Under the Rainbow. Under the Rainbow with Carrie Fisher, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a wild movie. A lot of little people. A lot of... I think... There's a number of how many. My my mom knew like two hundred names. I'm not I'm not a numberist, so I won't do that. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So they met on that set and I think you know, she came up in the ranks because which is funny but ridiculous. Everybody on set was doing drugs. Everybody all, all production so she wasn't the little she, people weren't doing as much oh i don't know about that <laughs> yeah maybe they had smaller spoons no. um uh Teaspoons. yeah no she knew all these guys so well she was sober not she was like she was an athlete it wasn't in her interest to do that and so she could run the set and she was like, she was like, I think a PA for really, and she just ended up being the production coordinator or something. It was insane because someone got fired and she just could handle it. Right. And she just graduated and she was like managing this set. Mm-hmm. And my dad noticed her and kept coming by and wanting to talk to her. And frankly, she, as from what I'm told, didn't. He was a star, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He, she didn't want to deal with that or have anything to do with that because she had her path that she was on. Um, and he asked her out and she turned him down at first only because the way he asked her out felt rude. And then she realized that he was really just a genuine sweet guy. But and hadn't he asked a couple of people out first to yeah. this event? Yeah. Right. And that's why she turned yeah, him down? He, he was trying to be cool. Like, oh, you know, I asked this person, I asked this person. But they couldn't go, so would you want to go? Oh, wow. Yeah, and he, well, he's trying to be cool. And she was like, not if I'm third choice. And then he, like, he was really sad and embarrassed. And um, they ran into each other, I think, one more time. And then <clears throat> for the call, the call times, um, you know, they have to have someone call his office. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'll do it. And then his secretary, like, got really excited because he, he told her everything. And so she put him, him directly on the phone. And my mom was like, you still want to go to that thing? And so they went out Aww. on a date. 
And she said she was just pretty angry about it, which I get because mm-hmm. when you really fall in love, it's kind of upsetting. It'll be forever. It's a, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, it was Nat King Cole. It's a great song. I can play it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty jarring when you fall in love in that way because you know it's a forever thing and it changes everything. She had a path and she was like, oh God. Right. What am I doing? So they moved in together and then they bought a house and then they bought the house, I think, got engaged, got pregnant, got married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the order. Crazy. Wild. Uh, right. So I'm going to I'm gonna bring yeah. up something else. You had a life-changing event one day, mm-hmm. hanging out with the horses. and. I think you mean the stroke. Yeah. I was not with the horses, but oh. I was near the horses. Okay. My horse, unfortunately, passed away a few years ago, but I grew up with horses, um, which is one of my favorite things in the whole world. Um, they're such deep, incredible animals. I went home, my friend Joelle. So I have two friends that I, they were my best middle school. She was in my first band. And high school, I went away to boarding school for a year and met this this friend, Scott. I ended up dating his younger brother and then becoming even closer friends with Scott. He's one of my best friends in the whole world. Brilliant person. I introduced them. They got married, got pregnant. Bam. Feel very cool about that. Were you there? Um, not during the conception. But right now, I'm kidding. <laughs> right after. <laughs> Yeah. You guys done? Yeah. I'm waiting. <laughs> it was in a bathroom. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sorry, Ella. <laughs> our eldest. So Joelle was having her baby shower. I can't not go right. to this person's baby shower. I mean, these are mm-hmm. my two best friends. So I flew out early, and I was going to hang with my high school friend and middle school friends, uh, Joelle and Eliza. And uh, I was staying with my parents. The house I grew up in, and they have a home gym, and we have a oh, like right, an right. intercom service. You know, before cell phones, right? We had house phones, and there was an intercom in the home gym. I was either going to go swimming, or go walk on the treadmill, and my bathing suit in hand, and somehow I decided treadmill, the best decision in my life. Well, of course. Because I probably would be it would dead would have been now. the last decision. Of Literally. Yeah. The best decision. Um, so I put the treadmill on a little incline. I'm walking. My mom was going to come join me in a bit. She was in her home office, which was, I don't know, a, less than a minute walk away, really close by. I'm walking on the treadmill, and I start feeling like a spin. And... I have basal vagus. Just put that out there. I fainted a bunch. It was different. There was something weird. And something in me made me, I was pushed through everything. So this, it's a little bit of the beginning of my spiritual journey because something in me made me get up and call my mom. I don't, I can't explain what it was. So I get up, put my feet on either side of the treadmill. I don't think I even turned it off. Get up go to the intercom and I say, hey, I'm feeling a little dizzy. And then while I was talking to her, I started stuttering. Very weird for me. Not my normal 
thing. And I couldn't really, I was, I was like, there's something, I don't know, this is weird. And she's like, I'm going to hang up and call your doctor. And I, at the, uh, I couldn't, I had brought my laptop down to play music because I couldn't figure out the speakers. When we hung up the phone, the music went from a normal volume to a what, like piercing your ears, like hurting your whole body volume. And I went to turn it off and I could not work my hand. I literally couldn't make it turn off because my hand was not working, which was really weird. So I shut the screen because it turned off immediately when I did that. And I thought, okay, something's wrong. I might faint since I had been a fainter, since I had vasovago. <laughs> What's wild is I'm very good in high stress situations. I thought, okay, if I'm going to faint, I got to get to the floor. I don't want to give myself a concussion here. Mm -hmm. So I, I start getting towards the floor and then something was really wrong. And I thought, I got to get out of here. I need to get to a hospital. So I started army crawling towards the door. Mm. And when I got almost to the outside door, my mom's assistant <laughs> bursts in. I, this woman is like six feet tall. Like she's a big and big this yeah, way. Whisper it. She won't hear it. Yeah. And she comes in, which is very overwhelming energy for someone trying to calm themselves on the floor. Right. I don't know how else to describe this, but she had fear eyes, mm -hmm. like eyes that told you everything was wrong when she saw me. And I couldn't really get words out to her very well, but I was like, get my mom. And she's nodding. And I was like, thank God, because she almost fell on me. I mean, it was terrifying. I was like, it's way calmer without her in here. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, okay. I'm having a mental breakdown because I can't get words out. Right. I didn't even know what a stroke was. I'm in my 20s. Right. So I start doing yoga breathing because I had learned a lot of like breathing stuff and meditation breathing. So I was breathing like deep in your throat, getting a lot of oxygen and just a couple yoga breaths. And then um, my mom came in finally. That was great. It was a comfort to see her. And I... I couldn't say things to her. Mm -hmm. She would ask me a question. The last two things I said to her, sadly, were I'm sorry, and I'm usually good at this, which is I'm usually good in high-stress situations. Right. I didn't know why I couldn't calm my brain. I was having a stroke, but right. I didn't know that. So I was taking these breaths and trying to talk to her. She was calm. She was sitting there trying to talk to me, trying to figure it out. She was calm as a kid. I mean, this was... This woman's unbelievable. Really, what was going on in my head, I got to say, was tell her to call an ambulance. I really need to tell her to call an ambulance. Call an ambulance. Breathe in, breathe out. Now say it. And I was saying, as the best bitch is. Right. And that is a living nightmare. Yeah. My mom had that. I, I talked to her when she had it. Yeah. At that the exact moment. So. Uh, yeah. It's a nightmare to mm. need to call an ambulance and not be able to say call an ambulance or this is how I'm feeling or anything. By the time they got there, I couldn't say my name. So I was, it was, it was like, and I was fat. I was like five minutes or something. I mean, maybe it was longer, but I couldn't say my name. That, that's wild. And I'm on the floor. It was just insanity because I kept trying to make it better and it was getting worse and worse and worse.
So my mom had had called an ambulance, by the way. She just, she hadn't said it because I think she, what she did apparently, you know, I just didn't know. She went to call my doctor and then thought, why am I calling her doctor in LA? I'm going to call an ambulance. Smart. But I didn't know that. So um, what was really scary, because I was still trying to keep my cool and my mom was so chill. She's just being there holding on to me, just keeping me calm. And this police, it was a first responder. I talked a lot about this at forums and I did a PSA. And um, so I think they're at, at least where I was, they've educated the police force. But the first responder didn't really understand stroke victims or what that might look like. So he walked in, he saw me on the floor and he said, are you okay? What's your name? And I said, and he went, his eyes like glossed over. It's almost like when you think you're talking to a person and it's a dog maybe. Mm-hmm. And he just glossed over like, oh, I can't get anything from that being. Mm-hmm. And looked at my mom and said, has she ever been able to speak? Well. And my mom took a second. Honestly, I get it. Right. She was probably like, what? Right. But for me, I was like, oh, I'm fucked. In my brain, all of my thoughts were me. I was not different. None of my thoughts were difficult to think. I was quick and funny in my brain, which was so weird in this moment. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm fucked. I'm doomed. I don't know what to do now. That's what's happening in my brain. On the outside, I'm garbledygook. And my mom was like, you know, eventually she's like, yeah, yes. Five (laughs) minutes ago. Like, what? Yeah. But it just scared the shit out of me. And I think until that point, I had been able to keep some of it at bay and and keep calm because, frankly, I helped save my own life by doing the yoga breathing and staying calm because it was slowing my blood that was uh, accumulating here because I had a blood clot in my brain. Anyway, the ambulance came. I get in the ambulance. And there were two... ENTs, one was solid, understood things, calm, got it. The other guy was obviously new, young, terrified, freaked out by everything, couldn't understand why this young girl couldn't speak. So I grabbed the hand of the ENT that I trusted because he was making eye contact. I was like, at this point, I learned that if I spoke, people wouldn't take me seriously, but I was still thinking clearly. So I I was reminding myself by just clamping, biting my lips together. Do not speak. Do not speak. So this guy was brilliant. He connected with me and he said, you know, nod or shake your head if you can understand me. It's okay if you want to speak. It's okay if you say it wrong. Like he just got it. I think he had dealt with other stroke victims. And I made him come with me. I held his hand and getting out of the ambulance. And when they tried to say, like, you have to leave it, I was like, it's like, no way, Dan. I'm not leaving this man. He is my, he's making me sane. And I got to meet him later and give him a hug. I mean, that was like, it's still so intense for me. I just, he got me through like the hardest, he and my mom really. And what I realized is when I connected um, 
visually when I connected eye to eye with someone, I was able to think and be present. And when I didn't, I would lose time. Mm. So my brain would start disappearing a little bit. So I needed that human connection really badly. And my mom started understanding that. So she was following me around just, and I was like, nice, okay. <laughs> it was amazing. My consciousness stayed when I could focus if, on If she asked you a question, were you able to nod incorrectly? For, for a fair amount of time I was, yeah. Okay. But then the movement was a little more difficult. So, oh. And they can't treat you until they know exactly what it is. Right. And did you have the physical impairment or just the aphasia? I had the physical impairment, but it uh, it all came back. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. You've been watching Brian Lally, Hollywood Native. Now I want to talk to you about something I'm really passionate about, and that's teaching acting. So I co-founded Lola's Acting School with my son, Kyle Lally, Lally or Lally Acting School. I've been acting for a, a long time now, of 100-plus credits on IMDb, hundreds of plays I've been involved with over the years, and I just want to share that experience with you. What we do differently here at Lola's is we give you practical advice that you can use on a movie set, on a play, an audition, anywhere. We give you the foundation to build yourself as a great actor. If you come to us, you don't know anything. We can teach you everything you need to know to be comfortable on a, on a set and to excel. Don't just listen to me. Look at what our students are doing. Daryl Wesley, who is writing on two hit shows, The Game and The Upshaws, and Ben Barrett, who is a series regular on The Politician, Megan Davis who is playing Amber Heard in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard story. Come check us out. We're at the Historic Arc Theater in the NoHo Arts District. You ever want to try plant-based eating? I have. What, you're a little confused, overwhelmed, you don't know how to get started? Definitely. Well, there's a simple answer to that. Go to Debbie Chu's Chew On Vegan YouTube channel. Debbie Chu is a plant-based RN. I've known Debbie for over 38 years, and she's very good at what she does. You go to the channel, and there's 300, over 300, recipes. They're simple, easy to make, and they're delicious. If you want to try it, you just might get healthy. Give it a shot. Chew on vegan. So the reason I brought that up is because afterwards, what happens? You change your philosophy. You said it started your spiritual journey or? Yeah, a bunch of things happened. Like so many. Th I mean, and when you have that close of a near-death experience, which it was quite significant, um, it makes you think about what you really want in life, what is important to you uh, spiritually, what happened, what occurred there, what was real, what wasn't. There were some unexplainable things that happened. What I left that experience with is a belief in higher power, a thousand percent, a belief in prayer, a thousand percent which is interesting. And I also left with a belief in some sort of a guardian angel type of situation. And there are explanations for all of them. Uh, the prayer thing was so strange, and I can't believe this actually happened now that I think about it. I was about to get the CAT scan to find out if this was really, in fact, a stroke. And it was my first time alone since the beginning of this. And I thought, I could just go to sleep and mm. it would feel so good. I mean, you know that thing where you're drifting off and you just want to fall asleep and it would feel wonderful. And then 
I started to sort of close my eyes and I saw my family. I saw my mom in the hospital. I saw my dad in the car and I saw my sister and her husband in the car. And I saw my little sister on an exercise machine. I saw my family and I thought, I've got to stay awake. I've got to stay awake. And so I'm like, just mantras, like stay awake, stay conscious, stay awake. So that you had to do real small mantras because your brain can't handle a lot. And it, when I t- told them later, they were all in, they were in those exact places praying. Wow. I mean, those exact wow. places. Yeah. I saw them where they were. And that's, wow. you can't, there's no, how do you explain that? Right. I, there's no way I could have known. I knew where it's kind of where they were. I didn't know my dad was in the car. Right. At all. Right. I didn't know where my sister was. I knew she was at this uh, camp in San Diego. I mean, it was just, uh, yeah, prayer works. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. I really don't. I think once you have a faith sort of in that specific way, it really doesn't matter what people think or say because that's just how it is. There's well, no, yeah, no. when it solidifies like that, yeah, I so believe. For me. And then no, no judgment on anyone who doesn't believe. No, at all. no. I accept that. I believe I was in the car with Ben, either when he heard mm-hmm. or right after he heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's the first time I've heard that. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. The other thing it did, which was really interesting, I think really wigged out everybody around me, is when... I started recovering and getting yeah. some words back. And I knew I was on a recovery path. I've never been so happy and light and free. And it was like the happiest. Everybody thought I'd be like upset that I had gone through this trauma. I was like the happiest person. I was like, hey, hi. Oh, <laughs> how are you? Uh, you yeah. Know? George, I was just so happy. You're George Bailey when he comes back. You know me, Bert. You know me. Zuzu's pedals. Zuzu's pedals. I mean, it was just the happiest moment. And and for me, I made a decision because I had been dating Ben, this person, for a very long time. There were different paths I could go on, considering music, considering acting, considering settling down and wanting to just have a family. And in that moment, I thought, I really want to act. That's what I want to do. And I'm going to yeah. do it. I'm sorry, so you had a question. When yeah, I... go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, uh, like, how you started going about your career journey after mm-hmm. that happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you just fully went full-blown full attacking the actor? Yeah, I mean, I knew that that was something that gave me a lot of happiness and that I was able to also do with the business side connected and not make it feel like a burden or something that wasn't fun. Mm -hmm. A lot of things that are hobbies, if you make into work, become less fun. Oh, yeah. I didn't have that with acting or I didn't feel like I did. There are a lot of business sides that I'm having difficulty making myself do, but it's more of the, it doesn't have to do with the actual art part of it. Mm -hmm. What I did was really interesting. I thought, how can I get my brain back to working, right? Because I was still having trouble speaking. What do you mean back to working, right? Well, it took me... Had it been right before? Lord knows. No, I mean... (laughs) 
it was really weird. For the first six months, it was like I was on drugs all the time. And I was just drinking water. You know, like hallucinatory drugs. Like it was, my brain was a mess. And I wanted it to come back. And I wanted to be smart again. So uh, a month and a half after the stroke, I joined an improv class and didn't tell anyone. Oh. Yeah. Nice. I was doing UCB in New York City. And then partway through, I started saying, like, yeah, I'm sorry. I did just have a stroke. And they were like, what? <laughs> were you doing good or were you struggling? I, it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was hard. Yeah. But the reason I did something like improv is it's in the moment. So you have to make your brain work. And also, if I just show up, I work like this. If I just show up for that person, I'm a thousand. Yeah. If it's just for me, I'm a little lazy. Mm-hmm. So... I had someone waiting for me to say something. I'll get there. So I, I, did, I did and performed improv a month, a month and a half after a stroke, which is insanity. Nice. Where nice. I lost my ability to speak. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And then, yeah, I just kept going. I mean, it's been a weird journey, but it's been great. Brian got me through some emotional times dealing with processing the stroke. Thank you. Yeah. Do you remember that breakdown I had in class with Taylor? Yeah. I, like, lost my mind for a sec. There are two, I think, two experiences I had where I was on stage performing and had, like, traumatic flashback Um. stuff. And we just talked through it. Awesome. Glad I could be there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you want to tell David what your phrase was before you did your best work on stage every class? I don't remember. What you don't? Know? I'm not sure. I would say something to you, maybe make fun of you or something. <laughs> oh. Then what would you say to me? I'm not sure if this is it. Would I say fuck you, Brian? Yes. Yep. Okay. Before yeah. every well. performance. <laughs> In the beginning when she was finding her way. No, this is the God's honest truth. And I tell people this. I think I'm going to stop telling people this because they don't get it because you had to be there. No, I'm serious. So Kaylee would be up there and she'd be not not plugged in, Mm -hmm. you know, at at times. Mm -hmm. And I would say, hey, nice job, Kaylee, or something. And she would say, fuck you, Brian. (laughs) And she would get her emotional level up. And just plug in and just kill it. (laughs) And it was a full class. You know, and some of the people are newer. They're like, and I said to everybody, if you don't end up doing that work after After you say that phrase, (laughs) you can't say that phrase. (laughs) But I just knew it's the emotional life that stops you from thinking and makes you stay in the moment and work off what's in front of you in improvisation Mm -hmm. or just say the dialogue it just it comes out organically while you're watching the actions of the other person mm-hmm. and meryl streep said this you have a great meryl streep story i forgot about that till right now oh, yeah. so meryl streep said that she does all her work and we know it's fucking meryl streep so she does all her work and she says nothing happens until the other actor stands in front of you mm-hmm. so whatever it is whatever level you are at and then whatever it just turned on with her 
And they would, she would fucking kill it. And again, yeah. I would say, don't fucking give me that phrase unless you end up like that. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Brian. I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> was it this phrase? Fuck you, Brian. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought it might be. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's never happened again. And I, I, I don't, I mean, it, people don't understand who weren't there. It's never happened again. I don't want it to happen again. But they don't understand what happened after you, time mm-hmm. after time. I mean, not, you know, maybe six times. I don't yeah, think it was. No, yeah. it was. It was when it was. It, what was so cool about that those specific moments is I knew you knew exactly what needed to happen. Yeah. That was what I was saying to you. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> didn't didn't come out that sweet. No. No. Didn't it didn't did come not. out that, you know, and B. No, because in that moment when you're gonna deliver that level of connectiveness and emotional vulnerability you don't you you can't say something like all right you're not you're past that right you've gone past already true you were already i was already in the scene when i was saying fuck you brian right right and i understood that you understood what that meant Mm -hmm. and you were you were safe i was safe I I gotta say, and this is totally, but Brian has no idea what I'm gonna say. So just to put it out there. Fuck you, Kaylee. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) The way I saw people grow from not understanding even what acting is in that class to people with a full, vulnerable emotional life that was their own, coming from themselves, being translated into a scene. I mean, I've never seen it in any other class. And I've studied everywhere. Just, you know, I'm in my 30s, studying acting for a long time. It's unbelievable to watch that journey. And I, I respect you so much for taking people on that and understanding how, which frankly, I don't, I understand how to get there myself and I understand the concepts, but the, the guiding of it is, that's a talent in itself. It's brilliant. I've I've seen jaw dropping things in yeah. front of what ten people that are as good as like an Academy Award winning movie. It's just to watch that. It's like it's phenomenal. It's a Thank phenomenal you. Thank class. you. You're brilliant. Teacher. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, you definitely have a way of unlocking people. Oof. That is a beautiful thing. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. You're a weird man. <laughs> you will, you will never, you will, you will never get an argument out of me over that phrase. I mean, there's some sort of quality of being able to relax someone and challenge them at the same time, right? A lot of teachers do one or the other, and when they relax you too much, you're just lazy and you don't get there. And when they challenge you too much, you hide. But the the fact that you have this ability to do both at the same time is it's awesome it's awesome thank you yeah and you were the catalyst of putting that class together to buy into what needed to be done away from class i could do what i did in class but you were the catalyst Mm -hmm. of getting people together and having them understand that we needed to do this you know now i'm hearing all about how you practice so hard as a child and you and you're competitive in the band and all this mm-hmm. all this makes sense to what you did in my class 
which was gather the people, you know, Taylor and Joey and Claudia and whoever else were there who were talented people, but were, didn't know how, you know, as you said, were young and on the journey. Yeah. And you brought them together and without, I think without telling them, you said, this is what we have to do every day. Yeah. And that away from class was a, I was able to do what I do in class. Yeah. And so I always thank you for, for that group of people. That's also from you because you you said in order to get there, we have to all do that. This has to be practiced this many days. And so all I did was schedule. Meet meet me at the park. But you were a little CLC. You were like, come on, we're going to put a show on my dad's barn. You you gathered everybody. So, yeah. I mean, it was so difficult. It's weird to meet new people. One, it's weird to be vulnerable in front of them, too. It's weird to then call them afterwards and be like, want to meet me in the park and say things back and forth? Right. That's weird. It's all strange. And one of the emotional leaders was Jessica Moreno. Oh, my gosh. Jessica, Jessica Moreno. Jess Moreno is brilliant. Brilliant. What an actress. Yeah. I mean, she was awesome. Yeah. She went to NYU for writing. She, she, I don't know if she's still in New York, but she, she wrote a play. I went yeah. and saw it at the Fringe Festival. She, yeah. she did all the work. Yeah. And she went to Edinburgh a couple of years. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And um, people people would discount her by calling her bipolar because she could change, yeah. you know, emotion uh, at the drop yeah. of a hat. Because, but it was in the moment. She changed mm-hmm. based on what other people were doing. Yeah. And I had to stop people from saying you're bipolar because that was such a cop-out to someone mm-hmm. who, was, who was moving so fast. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, she did have such a quick brain. She was very talented. Yeah. So let's get into the uh, the final phase, not just of the podcast, oh, yeah. but of, so you started working the booth at uh, the, the, comedy the world famous comedy yeah. store. And how that happened, which is interesting, it leads into the rest of the story, which is I was doing the sketch comedy and performing mm-hmm. when Ben and I were sort of ending our relationship. It was like a three year ending. You know. <laughs> You know how it goes. I mean, getting out of relationships is certainly not as easy as getting into them. It's funny because Um, women find it pretty easy to get out of them with me. Oh, Hey, poor boy. Hey, you know that date we have this Friday? Oh, oh, come. Not always. Not always. Yeah, not always. This is that's what this whole thing is. Actually, it's just a dating podcast. You're about to tell me we listen aren't going to be friends great, anymore. Listen to how great Brian is now. Yeah. Somebody. Yeah. Just send him your podcast. Yeah, when send you him your co- yeah. podcast. These are the things people say about me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, real. <laughs> it's a real. Yeah. yeah. So, Second date, you're like, they were lying. People <laughs> say. Yeah. I have footage. Yeah. yeah. Like, here he is as a pimp. Yeah. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I was uh, writing and performing those sketches, and my writing partner we started writing a live performance series which is the series i'm writing now right oh okay it it originally was live performance then it went to web and then we're writing it into a half hour but we were performing that and amongst many other sketches every week just performing 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 and she uh started working at the comedy store and the way you get a job there, all the door staff have to audition as stand-ups to work there. 
they're not anymore are there even any cover booths that aren't performers you're all performers the waitstaff the servers are not but some of them are actors and the bartenders some are comics and some aren't but the doormen that's the program there so jay leno uh david letterman jim carrey mark Marin, god who else bobby lee um a lot of them were just door guys it's the position you work the door and you do stand up when you can. My writing partner was working the booth and said, you know, I was saying I need a job. And she was saying, why don't you apply? In my interview, I told no one who my dad was because that's a mayhem working at a comedy place. Right. Come on. It's just a nightmare. Right. Again, to my dad, I'm not embarrassed of anything you've ever done. I love you dearly, but it was just for the pressure of it all. But that one time you cramped in the driveway, that was... (laughs) Yeah. So I applied for the job. In the interview, they said, (laughs) because a lot of people apply and they don't know what they're getting into, and they said, you know, it's it's different dealing with comedians. They're a different type of person. Like, I don't know if you can handle the type of things they'd say. And I said, very honestly, without indicating anything, I think... And you'll understand this later. I was born for something like this. I think I was brought up to work with comedians. And they were like, interesting answer. (laughs) (laughs) So I was hired. And then I was working in the booth. Right. And there's a pianist in the OR. And uh, I thought, you know, I could do that. I bet I could do that. And I um, said to them, to one of the managers and then the GM at one point gave, it took a lot of courage to say this. If you ever need a sub, I think I could do that job. And they looked at me like, just looking at me, you don't necessarily think that. And they said, you could open the room for 30 minutes playing. And I thought about it and I said, yeah, actually, yeah, I could do that. Um, they said, okay, heard nothing. It was like a a month later. Like, I didn't hear anything. I thought they forgot. I'm driving to work in my cover booth outfit, and they call me in the car, and they say, we have no pianists. You have to play tonight. And I was like, okay. I hadn't practiced in, like, a month. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was scary. They set the piano up. I thought, I'm getting to work early. I'll have a few minutes to tinker around. We couldn't figure out because the pianist was the one who set up all the sound system. By the time we got sound, the audience was walking in. Right. I played for seven hours that night. I went from not having practiced to playing for seven hours. It was very intense and scary. And then they hired me and they kept asking me to play. And you became the first? Female pianist ever at the comedy store. It's amazing. Yeah. And I didn't realized that I was just trying to be good and get the job. I didn't realize that was a thing until Ryan, who's now a manager, who was security, and Annie Letterman. I love her. She's really funny. She is hilarious. Talented, hilarious, very much herself. Um, I really love Annie. Mm -hmm. She and Ryan were talking. They were like, aren't you the first girl? I was like, what? And I asked the resident archivist at the time who was the pianist that encouraged me, which was incredible because he was the house pianist, Jeff Scott. 
shout out to Jeff Scott. He's passed away now. Um, he, he, there's no one like him. Anyway, he anymore anymore. One of a kind person. Right. It, I, uh, it's I. There would be a whole other podcast if I went into Jeff, but he knew everything about the history, and he said, "No, yeah, you're the first female pianist." Wow. Solidified yeah. it. I was like, if Jeff says it, that's real. Yeah. So what I didn't realize, mm-hmm. I thought you went in there and played piano, mm-hmm. which you do. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize you were part of an integral part of some of the comic shows. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. And I was really impressed. It's so fun. Yeah. But I didn't know that. So you, you're not yeah. just a, the, uh, a piano player. You're actually an accompany, accompanist. Yeah. Accompany, accompanyist. Yeah. I'm a turd. <laughs> I comp I them. To say. I comp you accompany them, but in the show, not just, mm-hmm. I thought you just played, you know, a little bit of Bob O'Reilly, you know, in the, uh, <laughs> in the beginning and stuff. But yeah. yeah, there was a few people that you were part of their show, really going yeah. with it. So, I mean, honestly, I was impressed by that. That was a, Thank that you. was a bigger deal than I thought. I mean, I was excited. You got the gig. Yeah. I'm thinking, Hey, Kaylee's playing piano at the, at the comedy store. Yeah. So does Bianca still work there? She does. Oh, okay. She does. Yeah. She's I've done around. a play with her before. She's oh, really, wow. oh yeah, she's cool. Very Aww. talented. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's a good actress. She's I've seen her in there before. Yeah. I went in there one night. A friend of mine had a, owns a company, had a girl working for him, and she was working the booth. I forget her name. Mm-hmm. This is before right, I guess when Trump got elected. Mm-hmm. And we went in there at one day and Ali Wong, who's funny as fuck, she was uh, performing and mm-hmm. she says, I gotta get off the stage because Chris Rock's here. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh, God, there's another comic named Chris Rock. You know, besides Chris Rock. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and Ali Wong was doing the thing about I'm married now. We have a contract. I don't have to suck dick. You know? And uh, and so Chris Rock comes up and says, Ali Wong ain't sucking dick no more. I got to quit talking her up at the bar. <laughs> so he does 45 minutes, right? And he says, okay, I got to leave now. So I got someone come up, you know, so everybody's like, boo. He goes, no, no, this guy's funnier than I am. And everybody goes, shut up, boo, bullshit. Yeah. And he goes, no, 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 it's Dave Chappelle. Yeah, that's a classic comedy store night. I know. And yeah. I'm sitting there, Chappelle gets up. He goes for about 45 yeah. minutes. And I'm like, he, you know, he's, he's just unbelievable. You know, he it's just... such an honor to play the piano for all of these people. I've, I've. I've played for all of them coming on stage, so all, the, all three of those, right. but many more that yeah. Bill Burr, you know, actually Louis C.K. came back recently, which was interesting. No. Oh. Uh, does he keep his pants up? He does. Okay. Impressive. He's really worked on that. Yeah. He's got a, got a belt, got a chastity belt on. <laughs> yeah, they've locked him in. We have a female booker, so she, yeah. would, you know, she's, she's hardcore. Um, she would. Take him out. <laughs> I love Louis C.K. I'm just having fun of his expense, yeah. but as many people have, um. <laughs> low hanging fruit. Yeah, I mean, he shows his low hanging. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh. So you're there how many days a week? Honestly, I've been there like five days a week a lot, but I'm still work the booth okay. also. So okay. I gotta say, just to. I think it's important to say, actually. So the door staff I was explaining, they're all comics and they all have. And Mondays are my favorite. It was last night. Not necessarily my favorite, but I love Potluck, which is an open mic. So it's newbies. 
then Family and Friends, which is the Door Guys show, and then uh, paid regulars who are passed by the store, come in, pick their names out of a hat, and go at a random order with Fraser Smith, the great Fraser Smith. Fraser Smith. So funny. So funny. The rock of the 80s. Gosh. I mean, he's still that good, and he still snaps with everything. You've got to come in and see Fraser. Anyway, KRQ Radio, man. Yep. It was the radio station of the country, and he With in, in Phil, 1980. Phil, Phil Austin and I don't know uh, Michael is. Gwen. Was it with that? They, that's that I, they had their show. God, I know that. I remember Fraser Smith. I remember um, mm. what Jed the Fish. I remember, yeah, um, yeah, with Fraser Smith. He was standing on a table dancing on the commercials like it's the rock of the 80s. It was 1980. Yeah, and he was, and it was, it was the, it was the radio station of the '80s. Yeah, Rodney, uh, Rodney on the Rock, he broke, he broke a hundred fucking bands that became world famous. So yeah. yeah, so yeah, he's still around. He was also it was Fraser Smith and the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. He was he was like the leader of the group when Oingo Boingo was you know kind of a I don't want to say novelty act. I know a couple of the guys. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just the beginning, and he w he was part of that. Yeah. And so, and they went on to be, yeah. I mean, so that's who I performed with last night. Well, okay. Yeah. The reason I brought it up is to shout out, of course, Frazier, but the door staff right now is hot. I mean, these guys, the only reason a couple of them didn't come last night, namely J Jesse Jetski Johnson, Matt Lockwood, those were a couple that weren't there, but... We had a rockin' show anyway. Some of them, sorry, but I'm not being specific, are funnier than the paid regulars. I mean, they are funny. And I am so honored to be a part of this generation of hilarious people coming out into the world. Yeah. It's fun in there. Yeah. I mean, my job is a blast. Yeah. Are you getting up as well? I haven't. I haven't gone up in the, and this is good for me to talk about because I've gotten a really hard time. Uh, Hugo Galaxy, shout out, has been giving me a hard time. Um, I started doing stand-up uh, right before the pandemic. Great timing, Kaylee. You know, if you don't enunciate someone's name, it's not a shout out. I just want you to know that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, Hugo Galaxy. Shout out Hugo Galaxy. Shout out Hugo, Hugo. Galaxy. Hugo. Hugo. Uh, shout out Bobby Lee with this story because is I. He, a comic? he is a comic. He's hilarious. You know. You know, you know Bobby. I, I I met Bobby Lee at the Yuckaholics. God, Kyle must have been 11, 12 years old, um, and, and he knew him from Mad TV. Wow, awesome. And uh, and we hung out and talked, and then I ran into him at uh, Fuddruckers in Burbank. Not that much later, and and he was just by himself getting a burger, and he goes, "Hey, where's Kyle?" Uh, so, you know, I always love Bobby Lee. No, Bobby is amazing. I, yeah. I adore this person, actually. He's so warm and supportive and real and constantly doubts himself, which is absolutely ridiculous to me because he's so funny. He told me one night we were talking and it, I told him a couple stories and he said, you've got to do stand up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, OK, yeah. Whatever. Someday. And he was like, no, no, you really have to actually. I'm going to stop talking to you until you do stand up. <laughs> and I thought that was funny. I did not know how serious this man was. I think it lasted three or four days, uh, but I couldn't find him to get him on stage. 
the the show was being hold, held back. He would not talk to me. And I was honest with him. He'd come in every time. Have you done it? No. And I thought, oh, my God, I have to do stand-up. So I did. I went. I was like, okay, fine. I did. I went and I, I did it. And it was kind of fun. Did so you do did, it at the store? No. Oh, okay. Never. Still yeah. not yet. Yeah. I did like three uh, little tiny hole-in-the-wall. Um, the one in the valley was a little bigger. Uh, places uh, did some open mics and then was that the comedy chateau or i don't, uh, honestly okay. don't remember well i know you're bigger than that so you wouldn't remember <laughs> people, no but. no just open mics no. friend it was only comics in there and then and then the pandemic hit and i've i've been right i definitely have stand-up but i'm i'm i want to work it out till i feel like when i go onto the comedy store stage i'm at least somewhat comfortable. I don't want to feel like it's too soon. Are you going to bring a little keyboard up on stage no, so you can play yourself no. on and off? I do have musical comedy. I've been making an album with my husband. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. He can play too, you said. He's oh, really he's good. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I saw one video he was. He's he better was than I am. Yeah. Which is hilarious to say as a professional pianist. Yeah. But he's brilliant guitarist, brilliant pianist, a pretty damn good bass player and uh, drummer. His father was a studio drummer mm -hmm. for Billy and the Beaters. He was also yeah. a drummer. Yeah, I've seen Billy and the Beaters yeah. live. And he played yeah. for a lot of people. They're good, but they, they, Billy and the Beaters is a good musical good. group. They're, yeah. they're good musicians. They called his dad the clock. That was his nickname. Oh, okay. Uh, which is like a metronome. You know, you right. just, he yeah. was there. Um, so we're making an album, which we started over the pandemic because... Yeah. What, what else do you do in a house with a bunch of musical instruments and nothing nothing else you're doing? Yeah, so I'm doing a lot of different things, but right now I'm focusing on the writing this series um, and playing at the store, which is my job and the best job. And I would love to be acting more, but, you know, you have 24 hours in a day, so you do what yeah. you can. I did, I did just do a small part in a movie, though. Oh, good. Yeah, I did. Uh, oh, it's going to be so fun. And I'm so honored. And it is a little bit of a nepotism thing. And you know, I that happens. I'm so happy for it. I'm not, I'm not shy about it because I'm so proud. Um, my dad survived heart failure a couple years ago. Yeah, I remember. A year and a, I remember. I'm not even very hush hush. Year, I feel. Huh? It was during the pandemic, 2021 February. Though. Right. That is a slow build back. It is hard physically and um, mentally to build back from that. And he's at a place where he's doing movies. Right. I mean, that's amazing. Right. And I'm valuing my time with my parents a lot right yeah. now. It makes you think about things. And Danny, Dan Aykroyd, who is a very old family friend, mm -hmm. his whole family, his mm -hmm. daughters are brilliant, and his wife is wonderful beautiful person and he has a couple other kids as well a little son and a little daughter anyway um he was doing uh the movie with my dad called zombie town mm -hmm. and then i found out it was an rl stein yeah, yeah so that's like my childhood little horror you know those right. nickelodeon horror things those books goosebumps you yeah. know right and i said to my manager oh my god is there any way i can be in this because <laughs> come on okay. and uh 
the casting director was awesome because he reached out because he actually saw some of my footage, mm -hmm. which is like, oh, I'm actually an actor. I'm not right. just right. this random kid. Right. And so I have a little role in it. And um, we shot it up in Canada. Hmm. Honestly, I think the movie's going to be great. It's a zombie movie. It's got sort of a Ghostbusters-ish vibe, especially with Danny in right. it. It's funny. So you're um, saying your dad got tired of pranking him on the phone? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're constantly calling each other. It's constant silliness. They really get understand each other, right. especially in a humor mm -hmm. capacity. Right. Um, Dan's brilliant. Is your so dad still writing? Um, he does here and there. He hasn't, like, uh, you know, put it all together into anything right now. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's always in you. Yeah. I've always that always you know in recent years I said he should do a one man Broadway show I thought it'd be I think it'd be <laughs> oh, fucking yeah. brilliant I just think it'd be fucking brilliant I do so we're coming to the end of our time I'm so glad we had this time together yeah are we gonna get sued for that but <laughs> so you're putting your show together you're playing piano you're yeah. married you may yeah. have a family you love your family yeah. and your grandma is uh Alive greatest well. lady in the world and oh. uh so that's that anything you want to plug no the show if we get it made the adventures of abby and margaret we'll see the album when that comes out right now we're calling uh, we're calling ourselves adamantium but uh, milo is maybe wanting to change that so we'll see on that too but the music's funny and good Oh, we do have a band camp, but we did it all on donations. We've been donating all the money we earned. That's crazy. People need to, I need, we need to start earning money. What happened was during uh, the pandemic, there were a lot of protests and riots and stuff. And we have a relative we spend a lot of time with who's immunocompromised. Mm -hmm. We couldn't risk going out. So we thought, how can we help? And so we uh, put our music on Bandcamp um, and donated all the proceeds to the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, which was really proud for it. We earned like 500 or something dollars for that. And that was really a proud moment, for, I think, for both of us. We do have to start gearing towards actual business <laughs> at one point. But it made us feel like we could be a part of the world that we couldn't at the time. What are two artists going to do? I mean, come on. I... Yeah. So, well, Kaylee Lee, Chase, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad it was so easy to get you here. But <laughs> I appreciate your busy schedule. I thank you and I love you. And it's so wonderful just to hang out and I love hear you things I didn't know. And I appreciate you. I appreciate all you do and all you've done for so many people.